everybody. Welcome to The Kelly O Show. I'm your host, Kelly Alexa. This show is dedicated to inspiring women of all ages to pursue excellence in mind, body, and business. After decades of playing small in my own life and staying in the comfort zone, a couple of years of massive chaos and drama in my personal and my professional life forever changed me for the better. Through some tough lessons, I evolved and I became a stronger and more confident version of myself, fearless and finally, unapologetically myself. I am now designing my life bigger and better than ever before. And most importantly, I'm designing a life on my terms that is full of joy and happiness. And I think that this is something that's been missing for so many women. They're either staying in the comfort zone like I was Or they've got a life that looks pretty good on the outside, but it's missing real joy and health and happiness. And that is no bueno. I believe that the future is female. And every week, this show is going to bring you incredible interviews and live shows that I hope is going to motivate you to take massive action in your life, to leave the comfort zone and go all in again to pursue achieving excellence in mind, body, and in business. I hope you enjoy the show and let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Kelly O show. Today we have a two-part episode. This is just under an hour total, so I made this into a two-part episode, but this is an interview, one of our very very last legacy interviews from the years of Fitfluential Radio, and I'm very glad I found this because I think that this is actually the perfect time to be airing this interview with Megan Devine because we are talking about grief. And I certainly have never had this topic covered on the show, but considering we are in the middle of this crazy coronavirus pandemic, so many of us are experiencing deaths of people that we know. Um, It is a time that is very chaotic and emotional and full of turmoil for so many of us. And there's just a lot of these types of emotions permeating the environment right now. And I think the fact that Megan, we had Megan on the show to talk about, you know, she was a psychotherapist, uh, a professional, she had a professional career as a psychotherapist that began way back in 2001. And she experienced uh, the death of someone very close to her. And the grief that she was experiencing in dealing with that death of her partner and the challenges she had getting help in dealing with her grief, whether it was from experts or people in her life, she just realized like there needs to be more attention paid to helping people deal with grief, no matter what the grief is about. It doesn't necessarily have to be the death of somebody. Uh, it could be set, it could be, you know, you're grieving what's happened to your life because of disease entering into your life. It could be the the grieving over a, a lost relationship. It could be so many things. But if you think about it, there's not necessarily enough out there that tells people how to properly process grief or how to get through it. Um, and in fact, too many people, when they realize somebody is going through something, they tend to avoid. And in fact, I know we talk about that in this interview. You know, we talked about my mom's cancer and how many people, how many of her close friends avoided her because they didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to be there for that person. And that's a lot of what we're talking about in this interview. So I think it's very timely 
that I found this is one of our last few episodes that is going to be going live. One of the last few lost episodes, if you will, from Fitfluential Radio Days. Um, but yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from her. She is an exceptionally articulate speaker, really knows her stuff when it comes to this topic. And I know you're going to get a lot out of this and potentially think of somebody who could benefit from hearing this and certainly from connecting with uh, Megan online. So sit back and I say this with understanding. Enjoy this two-part episode um, with what you can learn about uh, grieving and the process of grieving and helping people that you know who are grieving. This two-part interview with Megan Devine. Again, two-part interview. Make sure you listen to both parts one and two. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fitfluential Radio. I'm your host, Kelly Alexa, and today on the show, I am really pleased to welcome Megan Devine, who is the author of It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Meeting Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand. And this is a topic we have never addressed, but clearly we need to on the show. And so, Megan, thrilled to have you. Welcome. So glad to be here. I am, um, you know, it was great chatting with you before we started recording. And as I shared, you know, both with you and then just now, we've never addressed grief on the show. And for everybody listening, why am I choosing to do this interview? Um, first and foremost, it is going to affect each and every one of us. Um, I was sharing with Megan when we were chatting, you know, there have been times over the past six months that I've just been scrolling through Facebook and and I remember one week, three, it was at one time it was like a, a a rainstorm of people losing their beloved pets. And I don't care who, you know, I don't have pets right now, but pets are like family. The ties between us are like family. And so I know that when people lose their pets, um, my parents had to had to put one of their dogs to sleep recently. It, it's very traumatic. And then there was a time where I was scrolling through Facebook one week and three people that are, you know, colleagues of mine. Uh, lost a parent all, all within one week. And I also notice it also tends to happen around holidays or maybe we just notice it like, oh my goodness, it's Thanksgiving and, and this person's father or sister just passed away. So number one, it happens to all of us. And uh, I, I've had a death in my family uh, in the past month and we have somebody who's in, in very bad uh, hospice right now. Um, so it, it's going to happen to all of us. But as Megan's going to get into, it's something that if it's happening to someone we know, a lot of us don't know how to help them. And number two, it's going to happen to all of us. So finding, finding ways to manage or deal with grief and not do it alone and not let it affect our health, because in my opinion, this is going to be the way I'd say it, grief can turn into a massive amount of stress and anxiety, and it can take a massive toll on our health. And that's why we're going to start talking about this topic. So rather than me frame the questions, Megan, I'd like you to tell us, tell us about the book and, and what, what drove you to write this book and what's it about. And then we'll just explore the whole conversation and the relation of grief to health and so on and so forth. Yeah. So grief and health is a gigantic issue. Um, we'll, we'll touch on as much as we can here, but it's, it's such, um, it's such a labyrinth, right? Because we don't talk about grief in this culture. We don't really know what normal healthy grief is. We don't know how to deal with it ourselves. And we certainly don't know how to deal with it and be the best supportive friends we can be when somebody in our lives is experiencing grief of any kind. So the book, um, the book is 
sort of my personal response to the yawning chasm um, of, of not enough information out there about what grief really is and, and how to take care of yourself and how to care for others. So um, I've been a psychotherapist for a long time. It's almost 20 years this year, which is crazy. Um, and I was, I was in private practice. I was working with clients, doing good work, but getting a little tired and was planning on um, closing my practice and figuring out what was going to come next. But before I had an opportunity to do that, my partner died in an accident. Mm. And, you know, as somebody who was a psychotherapist for a long time, who was accustomed to pain, grief like that opened up a whole new world for me, a whole level of existence and pain and attempts at support and lack of support. And it, it took me a few years in my own sort of reeling and reintegrating and recalibrating the universe, all of those things, mm-hmm. um, to really realize that the 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 best thing that I could do for the rest of the world was to talk about the reality of grief. It's such a painful and disorienting time, just personally, right? When your world sort of evaporates in an instant, but also that sort of next ring out of suffering where friends and family don't know what to do, where the culture tells you that um, if you just think positive thoughts, everything will work out okay. They tell you that everything happens for a reason. Um, There's some spiritual bypassing that comes along with our cultural views of grief. And that's things like um, God needed another angel. I mean, what a terrible, what a terrible thing to say to somebody whose four-year-old just drowned in the neighbor's pool. Mm. Terrible, terrible things that we say to each other, um, you know, with quote unquote, so air quotes here, best of intentions. But the reality is, is that our best intentions are not working. And so we need to talk about it. So the book really dives into that stuff. The, The first half or so of the book is about the reality of grief. As I said, because we don't talk about grief in this culture, no one really knows what's normal. No one knows that your memory can be impacted, that your sleep is definitely impacted, and eating, and interest in life, and your energy levels. All of these things are parts of normal, healthy grieving. They just feel bad. So the first part of the book is really normalizing what grief really is and what it's like to be you when your world dissolves like that. And then the second part of the book is about Um, How do we care for each other? How do we actually show up? If grief isn't a problem to be solved, and it isn't, um, what does our support look like? So much of our ways of supporting people in in our fix-it culture is about, you have a problem, I have a solution. You're feeling sad, why don't you eat more broccoli? Right? Like this this incessant advice-based culture or fixing your problems. Um, So if we stop doing that around grief because grief isn't a problem to be solved. What does our support really look like? So the second half of the book really dives into how do you deliver the love that you most want to deliver to your people? If you have those good intentions, let's find ways to make those intentions land much more effectively so that people really do feel the love and support coming up underneath them, because that is what we need. Wow. Um, You outline that in in ways I I've never even thought about it that way. And I'm, I'm thinking about how, because this is going to lead into my question. I have questions for the first part of your book and the reality of grief and mm-hmm. questions about the second, how do we show up for others? Um, but I'm just thinking about, again, my own experiences with, with loss. And I, I think it goes back to a lot of what you just talked about, the advice culture, the I'm okay. And, and I just remember sharing with some work people, people that were making demands of me and thinking to myself that 
well, I don't want to, I don't want to use this as a crutch. You know, I don't want to make people feel bad. And yet then there was part of me that I wanted to scream at people like, can you give me a break? I do have a death that I'm trying to process and, and deal with work. But you know, what I found myself thinking is get back to work and trying to convince myself of, well, this wasn't my, my brother, this wasn't my father. And because it was a father-in-law or, or whatever, that it, I should grieve less and I should get back to work and I should be tougher. And I also found um, a tremendous amount of insensitivity with people in my professional environment, um, whether it was, you know, vendors or whatever, they're just like, well, so when are you going to be back to work? And I'm realizing, I don't think many of us um, give ourselves a certain amount of time or just allow ourselves to process any of the feelings that that means we should maybe put the brakes or slow down in other areas of our life. Do you find that to be common? Absolutely. I mean, the, the ways that we demean and dismiss our own hearts, right? Mm-hmm. And when we do that to ourselves with that internal narrative that you were just talking about, like, I should just buck up. I need to be productive. You know, I just should just stay busy and go back to work. All of those that, that whole internal um, storyline, right? And the external world, yeah, right? Like production, 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 be happy, be productive. The rest of the world didn't have a death, so you need to buck up and, and be part of it. Like, whoa, mm. right? I mean, there, there, is, there is some reality in there, right? That um, the world stopped for you and the world did not stop for other people. That's just a fact, um, and sometimes we do have responsibilities, no matter what's going on in our own lives. Sometimes we do have responsibilities there. I always feel like, you know, grieving people should get a daily life pass for, you know, however long they need it. Um, but, but that sort of um, intersection of your own personal life and the outer world's demands is a really difficult thing to navigate. And even just some sensitivity to that. Right. One of the things that I that I really enjoy doing is going into corporate cultures and talking about like what's your grief policy? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with um, grief in your in your workplace? You know, maybe an employee died, or maybe one of your manager's sisters died. Right? What's your response there? How do you talk about that? Because it's getting talked about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but but like, how do we? You know, again, even just that, like, just. Acknowledgement is my favorite thing here, right? Like to have a uh, service provider or, you know, a vendor or something to say, like, I heard that your father-in-law died. I'm so sorry to hear that. We do have a deadline. Is it, can, can we talk about that? Or, or is it going to be okay for you to get that? Or do I need to look somewhere else? Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's so simple as opposed to complicated, right? It takes 12 seconds to say, I'm so sorry to hear that. It must be, you know, maybe it's hard for you to, to be having this conversation. Can we move forward with it? Or do you need to maybe do this another time? Mm. Right. I'm thinking like as a business person, sometimes you don't have that luxury, right? Like shit needs to get done. Well, okay. Say that. Right. Like, I'm so sorry to hear that. There is a firm deadline here. And I, I want to know from you, is this something you can do? It's perfectly okay if you can't. Um, mm. But I do need you to know that I will need to find somebody else to do it if you can't, but I want to give you that space. Hmm. right? How easy is that? Like, that's very, very simple. But that would presume a grief literate culture, both uh, in a corporate sense and in a, in a global sense, right? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the 
the ability, the capacity, the willingness, the knowledge to be able to acknowledge that somebody is in pain and not try to rush them out of it or change it or pretty it up or force them back into the cog and the machine that like, good Lord, should we even be that anyway? Right. This is so, so much of what you're saying. I just, I'm so nodding my head over here because it, it, it rings true with death. I think many of the things that we're talking about today are also applicable to just major illnesses, things that happen, you know, when someone's diagnosed with breast cancer. I, I know one of the things that my mom talked about was how so many of her, and this, I mean, this has happened repeatedly. People that I know that have been diagnosed with something, everyone avoids them. They say, no one wants to talk to me. None mm-hmm. of my friends show up, half my family, you know, they, and, and, they, and then those people, if you talk to them and it's the same thing with a death um, you know, and, and several people that have experienced suicide recently, you know, they, they say people avoid me. They don't want to talk. You know, I, my, my son was killed and nobody, nobody wants to talk to me. And, and those people that are the people not talking to that woman who's lost her son are saying, I just don't know what to say. And so they think avoiding and waiting until everything's better and waiting till it's okay to come back and then never really address it. Like you said, we're not, a grief literate culture. And, and it doesn't mean that there is a perfect way. If, if you are, if you're at the office and somebody has had a loss, a wife, a child, and they're coming back, whatever it is, there isn't a perfect way to start talking about work again. But the, I think acknowledging what's been, what's happened as opposed to what people I think do in their personal lives, they probably do in the, the office, just coming in and acting like nothing's happened because they don't want to talk about the elephant in their room. I think that many people who have experienced a death are going to say, that's not helpful. Just like the people who have been diagnosed with something serious, they don't want you to come in the room and go, you know, if, if, if it's my mom when she lost all of her hair and she's exhausted and she's throwing up all the time, she doesn't want me to come in and go, that's, you look great, mom this is awesome. Like I came in and I'm like, are you feeling like shit today? It sucks. Doesn't it? And, and and then what helped her was, you know, I joked with her and I would say, look, it, what you're going through, I, I would be sad. I'd be pissed. I'd be angry. I didn't not talk about the issue. And I love how you phrased it, that you're a coworker in, in this case, you put it in the business environment is just acknowledging the issue, acknowledging that we do have challenges, but giving space and just be saying it in a very simple, but respectful way. How, how is it that we, because this is, I do think this is probably, it's more the trend that people don't know what to say in a work environment, in a, in a life, family, home environment, then they know what to say. And I think more people avoid being that supportive. So I know I'm, I'm bridging the part one of your book and part two, the reality of grief. And then how do we show up for other people? But how do we figure out what to say? How do we make this a a grief literate culture? What, what's, what are the solutions there? Yeah. So, so much of what you just said, the overlaps here that this doesn't just apply in cases of death, right? Catastrophic illness, injury, accidents, really all of the ways that life hurts, right? Like the disability and chronic illness communities get this a lot. Like, oh, really? You're sick again? Why don't you just like buck up and take your vitamins, right? The, the, so we're influenced by that wider culture that says that um, everybody is supposed to be happy and healthy and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And that's so ignorant on so many levels. 
right? Like we will even draw in systemic racism here and um, and prejudice of all kinds, because what we're saying is your lived experience doesn't match what I think the world should be. So you're doing it wrong, right? And that's where we come in with unsolicited advice. Um, that's sort of the nefarious end of things. Um, where where we want to take this is also like we do ignore other people because we don't know what to say, right? Nobody likes to feel helpless. I actually know more than a handful of grieving people who have actually seen acquaintances cross the street in order to not interact with them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Whoa, everybody, we, we see you, just, just so you know. Um, <laughs> but but how, how awkward that is, right? And um, nobody likes to feel helpless. And when we feel helpless, we do one of two things. We either avoid the situation that's causing us to feel so uncomfortable, right? Elephant in the room, cross the street, um, don't bring it up at all, or just flat out forget about it. Or we do the other thing, which is we feel helpless. And that helplessness makes us start spewing um, platitudes or encouragement or telling our own stories, which is sort of a way of hijacking a conversation and moving the focus off of the grieving person or the person struggling. Um, None of these are like, oh my gosh, you're such a terrible person. No, you're human and you haven't been taught better ways of acknowledging the pain of the world. So let's do that for you, right? Mm. You are helpless in the face of someone else's pain. That's not a flaw. That's reality. It is not your job to fix somebody else's pain and to make them feel better. Your job is to acknowledge their reality. And that is true whether it's a death or they're talking about um, the, the microaggressions or racism or otherism that they experience in their daily lives, right? Like your job is to acknowledge the reality that they're sharing with you whether you think it's valid or not, right? Like when you come into something, Kelly, and you say, my father-in-law died and they're like, well, you weren't close, were you? Mm -hmm. Right. Because we're going to rank that. That's, that's not fair. And it's not, it's it's not even relevant, right? Like the fact is you are saying, ow. And my job is to say, ow, back to you. Because we need to know that our experience is valid and real right? So I think that that takes a lot of pressure off. If we stop looking at grief as a problem to be solved, if we stop thinking that our job is to make somebody feel better because you can't, then a whole world of opportunity Mm -hmm. opens up. Like, I want you to be awkward. There is no good way to do this, but awkwardness is awesome. One, awkward is a sign that you're doing something new and unfamiliar to you, right? So like aim for awkward. Mm -hmm. And it's an awkward thing. Let's tell the truth about that right? Like I would much rather have somebody come to me and say, I have no idea what to say to you, but I'm willing to be awkward and fumble my way through this and, and support you as best I can. And I'm here and I love you. Um, can I come walk your dog for you this afternoon so that you don't have to do it? Mm. Right. So true. So again, like the, the whole world of how to support someone else shifts when you stop thinking as of it as a problem to be solved and instead see it as something to be supported, right? What can you do to allow the grieving person to fall apart as much as they need to for as long as they need to? God, so true. As, as you were talking, I, I always take notes when I'm interviewing people because something will come up to spark the next question. And I kept thinking that for me, 
what has, has helped me with, you know, having friends or colleagues that have gone through certain things. And, and I've, I, I've seen how other people have reacted to either, as I mentioned before, the deaths in, in my, in my experience, you know, people have reacted to me. Um, and then watching my mother go through breast cancer and how family members or her friends either were great or abandoned her. Um, and then I have several other people in my life who have that same situation with, uh, either breast cancer or, or the father dealing with something. And, you know, they're, they have parts of the family that just can't deal and they run. And then parts of the family that are like, let me figure this out. And, you know, it is something that we should talk about more, but for me, the big takeaway that, that has helped me is I feel like it's a case of, judgment if you're the person that's trying to 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 be the friend or the you know the the supportive person you you're i think our tendency can either be judgment and what we should be doing is moving to sensitivity and empathy and we might think we're being sensitive and empathy empathetic and compassionate towards somebody but a lot of times it can be that we're judgmental like you said we're taking a position they should not be they should fuck up they should get over this they should be back to work um you know it's tough times but everybody goes through it you've grieved long enough whatever it is um you know it didn't take this person that long to to mm-hmm. get over it or we'll talk to your therapist about it mm. and, I, and i also remember i think uh, this is not a death but it's it's what the human reality is you said it's not others' jobs to validate the pain someone's feeling. If somebody is feeling profound pain from, you know, 10 years ago for me, it was my husband abruptly leaving me. It was some of the worst pain back then I'd ever experienced. And I remember family members, no one wanted to, to talk to me about it. And I felt like a Alice in Wonderland. I felt like I was in this freak show where I'd lost the love of my life just one day we're in love, the next day he's just gone. And my whole world was flipped. And I would go to talk to people in my family and they'd have this uncomfortable look on their face. And I would hear from other family members that they'd say, I wish Kelly would stop talking about my, her divorce. It makes me uncomfortable. I just have her deal with it. And I think so many people, whether it's a death or, or a divorce or a sickness, that's what they do. They are uncomfortable dealing with that, that, that pain. And it's not your job to fix it or make it go away, but to understand like that person has the pain, accept it and, and go at this with, I'm not here to judge you and tell you how much time or, or you shouldn't be under that much pain, but to really be sensitive and empathetic. I, I really think we are a culture that is far less sensitive and empathetic than we think. And I, I, it makes me think of the week that both Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, you know, took their lives. And I know that me three or four years ago would have looked at somebody who committed suicide and been judgmental and thought, how selfish can you be? Hey, everybody, this marks the end of part one of this two-part interview with Megan Devine. Make sure you listen to part two.